Justin, what's going on, my friend? How are we doing today? It's happening, man. How are you doing? I'm excited for doing? today's episode. No, it's gonna be fun. You know, we got Steve Lavin joining the joining the the show, and we're gonna talk some college hoops with him, and obviously the the craziness that's going on there. But uh, you know, hey, just living the dream over here. You know Absolutely. how it is. So, what's the the reasoning behind the Toronto Raptors hat? Which, by the way, is like. If you're talking about 90s NBA uniforms, I think is top three. But I'm just curious, what's, what's your tie to the Raptors? Uh, you know, I just like the logo, the throwback logo. I couldn't find a Grizzlies hat. I do. I, I am a sucker for that black Grizzlies jersey, though, from back in the day. I really yeah. want one of those. Um, and Damon Stoudemire uh, played for him. So, you know, I'm always going to have something about about this this particular logo. And then, obviously, the best dunker of all time, Finsanity. That's Finsanity. pretty dope. So, you ready to do this? Let's let's make it happen, man. Let's go. Yo, your fans just might turn into our fans. Be cool, it's just a part of this program. Spit your best 16 if you must. You not whack, you just sound whack rapping after us. For real. Busy week in sports, as usual, but... I, you know, I, I want you know, I know this isn't part of our show notes or whatever, but I, I do want to, I do, I do want to start here. Sure. Since we're gonna wait for Steve to show up and then and, and and do that, let's start with the Brooklyn Nets and their marquee matchup that was supposed to take place this week against the 76ers. And both KD and James Harden are out now. James Harden obviously has a hamstring injury, but KD no dice because he needs to rest, even though he's been out for like months. <sighs> I don't know where you're going to go with this. I don't I'm know where you're going to go with this. I'm just going to say Kobe and MJ would never. <laughs> I thought you were going to say we need to reduce the season by no. by 10 or 15 games. So these Man guys... up, dude. Man up. 82-game season back in the day with physical, more physical play than these dudes are experiencing now. There's no reason why they should sit out. But you know what? We'll table that discussion. <laughs> we'll table that discussion because I'm going to get too heated about KD sitting out for no reason. And we're going to get to my man, Mr. Steve Lavin, joining <laughs> us on the Total BS Podcast. Steve, how's it going, buddy? Terrific. How are we doing here on that? Should I be turning the camera one way or the other? You guys got to help me on the uh, Oh, you're good, front. man. You, you're looking challenge. good. You, you're looking nice and spicy this morning, man. I, got, I like the gear in the back and everything. You're good, man. I say yeah. cook. Coach Lavin's always looking spicy. Always, man. He's always looking spicy. Trying to bring my A game here for you guys. (laughs) All love. The the first time I ever met Steve Lavin was at the U of A, and he came out, and he was wearing this sweet navy blue suit with the pinstripes and the blue shoes and everything. I was like, dude, I mean – Come on, man. Like, you're living up to the – I've always imagined Steve Lavin in, in one circle, and it's, you lived up to the hype absolutely, Steve. Well, that's very kind of you. The reality <laughs> is, you know, you come into uh, Tucson and the McHale Center, you know Coach Olson's going to be in the stands. Now he's above us in the clouds. Uh, rest in peace. Uh, smiling down on uh, on this show right here. We get, give him a little bit of love, but – but you always had to bring your A game when you came to uh, McHale because Lute Olson was the Cary Grant of college basketball, um, a great dresser and, and on point. And out of respect, you wanted to do that. I'm going less with the pinstripes now. I'm just going with the straight uh, navy and yeah. uh, charcoal grays. I've, I've uh, kind of 
you know, eliminated the pinstripes from my rotation unless it's, you know, Big East tournament. I'm going to New York City in the garden or something along those lines <laughs> or Chicago in honor of John Dillinger, you know, Al Capone or some of the great gangsters. There you go. Walt, 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 Walt Clyde Walt. Frazier in the house. <laughs> so you got, you got to embody that spirit. I got you. Exactly. Coach, uh, speaking of uh, Lute Olson, I was going to ask about him later on, but since you brought him up and you mentioned him smiling down on this show, we actually put – coach Olson in our show intro so for those that are watching wow. on youtube and facebook we have this um cartoon like intro uh, yeah, that we, was created we, to we'll show you we'll show you the first two yeah, seconds of yeah, it you want to see it real quick yeah. cool yeah let's do all it right, here we go Yo, your fans just might turn into so we had kobe and and Lou, you know wow. uh, two 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 legends of the game and so yeah uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. uh, what do you, you know, thoughts on just the, an amazing life uh, from Lute Olson and just his legacy that he left on not only the sport of basketball but on planet Earth? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, um, at every stop, you know, as a high school coach at Long Beach City College, at Long Beach State, uh, at Iowa, and then obviously what he built in the desert at Arizona, um, he just set a level of excellence, the gold standard. Uh, for others to uh, emulate and to model. I know he had a big influence on my career and just watching the way he conducted himself, his sideline demeanor, and uh, obviously the confidence that his teams played with. In particular, I was impressed with his evolution as a coach and his flexibility. You know, he adapted uh, as the game changed. You know, he was coaching early in the career uh, without a shot clock, uh, without a three-point line. And then in 97, when he cuts down the nets, that was a middle-of-the-conference team. You know, I think 11-7. and seven. Uh, That 97 team with Bibby and Terry and Dickerson and Simon, uh, Bramlett, uh, that was a special group. And um, it demonstrated to me Coach Olson's flexibility, um, the humility. Because uh, some coaches, you know, they are who they are and they don't change or evolve. Uh, but to be successful for a sustained period of time, uh, you have to uh, be creative and use ingenuity. And I thought that small ball approach was emblematic. Uh, the 97 team that cut down the nets, no one expected them to. Uh, they went in as a lower-seeded team, but uh, interestingly win the national title and beat three number one seeds on the way to the national title, the first time it's ever happened and the only time it's happened in the history of college basketball. And uh, I just appreciated what a gentleman, what an ambassador, what a statesman Coach Olson was for the game. Uh, he would write handwritten notes. Uh, might be a big win against a non-conference opponent like Duke or Louisville or Notre Dame, uh, Kentucky. And um, I knew I would get a note from Coach Olson, handwritten. And uh, he was uh, special, just a, you know, a Mohican and uh really set that standard uh, for young coaches to follow. Um, he seems the consummate professional teacher uh, and coaching life skills. And that's why his players had such reverence for him. Um, even if they didn't see eye to eye at certain points, you know, during their playing career, now that they look back, you know, 10, 20, 30 years later, they understand what coach Olson was trying to instill in them. And that was the tools, the fundamentals, uh, the values and virtues that sustain you beyond sport, but prepare you 
for the challenges of life. And uh, that is, to me, the ultimate teacher and why I have so much respect for him. I was able to work his fantasy camp a couple years back when he was still with us and also celebrate his birthday with, you know, his former players. And to be around uh, that degree of love that uh, he had for his players and the players had for him was really inspiring and uh, something all treasure. Uh, even though, uh, of course, people are like, wait a second, you know, what's the rival UCLA Bruin coach doing here in the cat's den uh, in Tucson? But again, that spoke to the kind of person uh, Lou Olson was. If you beat him, uh, he was just as gracious. And uh, when he, you know, beat us, uh, you know, he still had the uh, integrity, the grace, the class. And that's what I was, uh, you know, so impressed with. Uh, win or lose, uh, he was the same person. And he was fortunate that he won more often than he lost, obviously. That's why he's in the Hall of Fame. Speaking of winning more often than they lost, uh, the Pac-12 definitely won a lot in the tournament, both on the women's and the men's side. Uh, what what was your overall impression of the Pac-12? Let's let's just talk about the men uh, the men's tournament specifically, and and how they pretty much surprised the country in their performance in the tournament. Yeah, we might have to give some love to Larry Scott. You know, he got oh, yeah. up <laughs> oh time he took, out, coach, <laughs> and he took the blame for everything bad that's happened in the Pac-12. So we got to give him a little bit of love on a season where both the men's and women's crushed it, yeah. and. Um, so we have to start there. Uh, it's only, you know, fair. Uh, if you're going to blame everyone for the struggles, you got to also be able to give them some love and credit True. when things True. go well. And it was under his leadership that this happened. And so uh, I start with that thought and, um, and then just impressed. I mean, a real shot in the arm for the conference on both the men's and women's side. It's been well chronicled in terms of the struggles that we've had in football and basketball. Uh, but when I was asked about it through the years, I'd say it's cyclical and people don't want to hear that. Uh, but there are times where things just line up uh, the perfect storm uh, in the wrong direction for you. And uh, we know that in our own personal lives, uh, there's days, weeks or years um, that don't go as well as others. And then sometimes we're rolling, uh, hitting on all the right notes and uh, everything seems to come your way. And so this was a year. Uh, in the NCAA tournament where I thought that was the most compelling story of the NCAA tournament was the Pac-12's performance. UCLA, what a story that was. Four straight losses going into the NCAA tournament, uh, and then they recalibrate, kind of reset their mindset, take advantage of being in the first four, go on to win five consecutive games, make it to the final four. And interestingly, after that you know heartbreak loss, to Gonzaga, uh, you have to think UCLA probably would have been a better matchup, interestingly, against Baylor because Absolutely. of UCLA's ability to control the tempo, impose that preferred tortoise or snail pace. Uh, they play at the 337th rated pace in college basketball. That is extra slow, but, they're <laughs> but they are proficient. And um, they had a bunch of superstars that were – Blossomed right before our eyes. Johnny Juzang, his shot making and playmaking. Uh, Jaime Hawke has a tough matchup because he could play inside and out. Had a rugged, uh, tough-minded approach. It gave UCLA a hard edge. Tiger Campbell played within himself, made good decisions in the NCAA tournament. Really was efficient as the floor leader. And Cody Riley, uh, you know, took off and performed at a high level. Is really the only true big man uh, with UCLA's injuries. They ended up 
going with the seven-man rotation. And I think that was the key to them taking flight in the tournament. And uh, I think teams within the league know how to play one another better. They know their styles of play, their systems of play, uh, the vulnerabilities and whatnot. And that's why I think UCLA had their struggles in conference play. But when they stepped in the NCAA and brought that tortoise pace, but also ran off of their defense when they had opportunities, uh, Jules Bernard was also contributing at a high level. So uh, hats off to Mick Cronin to be able to reset his team's mindset coming off four straight losses. And in three of those four losses, they had double-digit leads in the second half that they let get away. And yet you wouldn't have known that when looking at UCLA, they looked confident in tight late game situations and executed, made free throws and uh, didn't panic, um, you know, coming down the stretch when trailing by a couple baskets. And so uh, that is a credit to the psychology of Mick Cronin and his staff to get his team on point and also credit to the young men uh, that were getting it done. Those Bruins uh, really brought an A-game performance during the NCAA tournament. They bring their nucleus back next year. Uh, clearly, they'll be a top-five team in the country and have a chance to get back to a Final Four and even cut down the nets next year. Give those guys credit. Don't give Larry Scott credit. <laughs> Don't ever give Larry Scott credit. <laughs> Spending seven seven grand a night at the Pac-12 tournament in Las oh, Vegas. I, I think more importantly, more importantly than that, Justin, the announcement that Larry Scott is going to resign, and then all of a sudden, oh, we, everybody's getting well, love in the tournament. And, and Coach Lavin said, "Hey, things line up. Things line up. Just find it this is funny." True. Yeah, I, I, I like to bring that 12 angry men, the kind of Henry Fonda <laughs> approach, being fair-minded. And uh, let's give credit where credit is due. There you go. Still the commissioner at UCLA uh, and the other Pac-12 you know, men's programs uh, really represented at a high level. And the women's program was on fire as well. As you know, uh, with the Cats in Arizona, uh, what a performance and uh, impressive run by the women's programs as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, you, you were talking about, uh, you know, the NCAA tournament as a whole, uh, both of the men and the women, one side each, Indianapolis, San Antonio. Uh, did you like it? Did you not like it? What, what were some things that you think the NCAA might take a look at in terms of modifying? Or should we just blow the whole thing up and go back to the way it was and, and regionalize everything? You know, I think that, first of all, high marks uh, for Dan Gavitt. Uh, Mitch Barnhart, who's the head of the selection committee, Dan Gavitt, Dan Gavitt uh, is the son of Dave Gavitt, who was the founder of the Big East, and Dave Gavitt, a former coach at Providence as well. Uh, he's another Mohican, a giant that we, you know, lost. Uh, rest in peace to Coach Gavitt as well. But his son has carried the torch forward and really represented his legacy in a first-class manner because he's in charge of men's basketball championships for the NCAA. So. Uh, Dan Gavitt and Mitch Barnhart uh, deserve a salute, all the selection committee members. I thought uh, it was organized well, and it could be that this becomes a model, at least for the near future, uh, whether we stay in Indianapolis or it's picking other cities and rotating the cities. Uh, but there are a lot of advantages to Indianapolis, and, of course, that's where the NCAA, um, you know, works out of. And, um, you know, it's convenient. And when you consider COVID uh, and the complexities of the virus, uh, there's something to be said for having the equivalent of a bubble, uh, different than the Orlando bubble for the NBA, uh, 
but there was that aspect of playing at all these venues. And they happened to be some great venues, too. Assembly Hall at IU and Hinkle Fieldhouse at Butler and Mackey Arena at Purdue. And then some of the modern uh, venues uh, like Lucas Oil. So uh, I think high marks. And, yes, there's a strong probability that this will be in the near term uh, the way the NCAA tournament is played. I love that part of it and just making it easier for everyone. But I also think about the number of cities that get to experience the NCAA tournament. Places like Spokane, Tucson's hosted uh, first round events, Boise, Idaho. Does this possibly take away, you know, those smaller cities having NCAA tournament sites, which generates money for those cities? Yeah, no doubt. I think in the ideal world, you know, if the virus were to go away and it's no longer a factor, then I think a return to the traditional March Madness model uh, would make sense. But until we're, you know, through it uh, with certainty that the virus, you know, no longer is a factor that has to be considered, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the NCAA doesn't take the conservative and the prudent approach in terms of the safety and the welfare of everyone participating in the tournament, not only the student athletes, but the fans, the media and uh, the organizers. So, and the city that hosts, um, and they've, you know, really took all the precautionary measures and the protocol, the planning was precise and strategic. And if I'm not mistaken, other than VCU, right? Uh, every team was able to complete, yep. participate, uh, either win in advance or get to play and go home. And that was uh, the objective. So that's a pretty good percentage when you only have one team uh, that uh, wasn't able to participate in the tournament. Absolutely. The, the University of Arizona made it higher this week, obviously, with Tommy Lloyd. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how much you know about Tommy Lloyd, but, uh, you know, what was your overall impression and what kind of what kind of job or I guess, uh, you know, University of Arizona, obviously, besides UCLA in the Pac-12, obviously the, the bell cow of the Pac-12 when it comes to men's basketball. Uh, what kind of situation do you think he's stepping into and what kind of challenges do you see ahead for him? I know Tommy Lloyd well uh, through the decades and uh, had good relations with the entire Gonzaga staff, going back to um, Dan Fitzgerald, you know, who hired uh, Dan Munson yeah. and Mark Few and Billy Greer and, you know, Ray Giacoletti um, and Tommy Lloyd, uh, one of the bright young coaches in the game. And he was patient, you know, uh, studied and worked his craft, uh, excellent recruiter internationally as good as it gets in terms of bringing players from overseas. So he has a reach around the globe in terms of contacts. And um, he's not just a recruiter, though. Excellent teacher, uh, has a great understanding of basketball, both offensively and defensively. And he's been, you know, a central figure in these runs to the Final Four by Gonzaga. Uh, he knows the West Coast well. Uh, so I think he'll be an excellent fit at Arizona. Uh, he's going to learn more, you know, in his first year as a head coach uh, than he did at any point over the decades as an assistant. And uh, I was the same way, you know, three years at Purdue as an assistant under Gene Cady in the Big Ten was great training ground uh, as an apprentice to learn about teaching and coaching. And five years at UCLA under Jim Herrick and a part of the national championship in 95 were great experiences as an assistant coach. But it wasn't until I became a head coach, 1996-97, that you suddenly have an accelerated learning curve. You know, much like 
you know, a high school player that steps on a college campus and uh, competes in his freshman year, you know, that's a big jump from high school to college. And then I think you learn as much in that first year, that freshman year about system and style of play and the work ethic that it takes uh, to, you know, be successful uh, at the high level division one programs. And then by your sophomore year, uh, you've got a better sense and feel. Uh, so Tommy Lloyd has all the important ingredients, uh, the traits, or the characteristics or attributes that it takes to become a great coach. Um, but he's going to have to go through it. Uh, it's a rite of passage. And uh, it started with that press conference. Uh, that was the first press conference as a head coach. And then he's going to be recruiting. It'll be the first time he's recruited as a head coach. He's going to make a practice plan uh, as a head coach. And then he's going to lead a practice for the first time as a head coach. And uh, I'm happy for him and uh, couldn't be a better fit. And big expectations, as you mentioned. I mean, Arizona, uh, as good as it gets because of what Lute Olson built and the standard that he set. And Sean Miller uh, was an excellent coach and had some great years, conference titles, conference tournament titles, lead eights, knocking on the door to get to the final four, a bounce of the ball, an official's call, a made shot uh, or a free throw. And, you know, Arizona could have easily been in two final fours and cut down the nets. Uh, so much of the tournament comes down to matchups, uh, fate and destiny. You have to be so fortunate, be injury free. And um, so uh, let's not kid ourselves. You know, Sean Miller, uh, had a terrific run, and I think it was a situation where you get to a place and it's diminishing returns uh, for whatever the various reasons. Uh, this case was about the uncertainty of Sean's mm. future and yeah, uh, the sanctions that the NCAA uh, was levying on Arizona. And so a fresh start is good for Sean and his family. He gets a reset and a new beginning. And we'll end up in basketball somewhere uh, because he's too talented a coach to not uh, end up in a good position somewhere. And then Arizona gets a new beginning and a fresh start, which I think is healthy uh, for their athletic program and the university. And Tommy Lloyd um, is deserving of this opportunity. Again, he waited 19 years. He didn't just take jobs when they came along. He waited for a great one. And if he had stayed at Gonzaga, he would have ultimately taken Mark Few's place. Uh, so he had good options. He could have sit tight. And then taking the baton from Mark Few when Mark wants to go fly fishing for the rest of his life, he loves the outdoors, the Northwest, uh, and Tommy would have taken over. But uh, I think this is a great opportunity for Tommy and a good situation for the university and athletic program and for the Cats fans. They're going to be happy uh, with this hire. For for a guy like Sean Miller, for instance, you know, Steve, you've been through this before yourself where, you know, you, you coach at UCLA and then you get a chance to kind of maybe reset, you know, and you, you kind of learn some things that maybe you wish you wouldn't have done uh, early on or within your tenure. And then you kind of refocus. And then when you go to your new position, you know, when you're at St. John's, you know, you kind of reset and, okay, this is the way I should have done it the first time. Let's try and do it this time. Uh, you think that's going to be a situation that Sean Miller will, will kind of learn from everything he's done in the last 12 years and then take on to wherever he goes? Yeah. You know, basketball in its purest form is a metaphor for life. And so in any aspect of life, um, you know, if you're interested you're going to learn and every experience informs our sensibilities. Um, it, in, it informs the way we look at the world, the prism of the lens that we look at the world through. And it's not just on the basketball side of, you know, should I zone or should I man? Uh, should I have called a timeout? Uh, should I have substituted, not substituted? 
uh, called a timeout or not called a timeout. There's all those aspects from a strategic or technical standpoint of the game. There's the psychology as well. Uh, why did I, you know, not get more out of, you know, this particular player? You know, why wasn't I able to get, you know, him closer to the full expression of his potential as a basketball player? And um, the way I was brought up, my mother and father were educators and, and Coach Katie was an outstanding teacher. And at UCLA, when I was with Jim Herrick, you're influenced by John Wooden. And I've I had known John Wooden back to my Purdue days because he was a Boilermaker yeah. from 1928 to 1932. Uh, but I was brought up that, you know, basketball is a curriculum to teach life. And we talked about that earlier with Lute Olson, that, you know, it's really the fundamentals of life that we learn through team sport. And that's the beauty of getting young people involved in sports and team sports in particular, uh, because you're learning about competition in a healthy way, uh, preparation, uh, resiliency, you know, how to bounce back when things don't go well. And um, it's preparation for life after sport and basketball. So there's no doubt. I know from each of my stops, not only as a coach, you know, you're learning and growing, but also the things that happen in your life when you're fired, uh, you know, that's an opportunity to grow and learn in terms of how do you respond? How do you bounce back? How do you move on or transition with grace? and class and dignity and to give thanks and to be genuinely grateful for the opportunity that you had. I was UCLA 12 years. Uh, that's a long time. That's the most of anyone on the bench since coach Wooden did it for 27 years. I was an assistant for five and then a head coach for seven. So in my situation, I was extremely grateful for the opportunity. I'd been a volunteer assistant, then the third assistant, then the second assistant, then the first assistant. Then I was the interim coach. Then I was the permanent coach, and then eventually I was the fired coach. So I, <laughs> so, so I experienced seven. That's what, what we call evolution, coach. Evolution. <laughs> there it is. And, and then we start over again, right? Uh, so, uh, and then you know, television. Uh, the seven years at ABC and ESPN, working under Brent Musburger, another remarkable mentor to learn the fundamentals of television uh, from, was a real gift. And then there was the opportunity to go back. To coaching at St. John's, uh, Big East, New York City. Uh, I was in the old Big East, you know, when we uh, had teams like Louisville, Notre Dame, and Pittsburgh, and Syracuse, and uh, UConn now left. The good old days. Back. Yeah. And then I had a couple years with the Realign League, which was outstanding as well. Um, and then I got the pink slip again. I got a new president. And uh, even though we went to the NCAA tournament my last year, and we went to two NITs, two NCAAs, averaged 20 wins a year. And Sent kids to the NBA like uh, Jakar Sampson and Mo Harkless and Don Pointer and Amir Garrett now is pitching with the Cincinnati Reds. Um, but we were able to graduate our kids. A lot of them are overseas. A lot are doing well in different industries, uh, both my UCLA kids and my St. John's kids. So you understand. You salute. You give thanks. And uh, the new president wanted Chris Mullen because he was one of Coach Karnaseka's guys. And they were hoping that would you know lead to – a greater attendance and maybe going to a final four or a national title instead of just going to NCAAs. But, uh, but it's hard to get to the NCAA tournament. And uh, now Mike Anderson's there taking a crack at it and uh, hopefully he'll get them to an NCAA tournament. But yeah, you do learn and you just give thanks and move forward. Uh, life experience like cancer informs you uh, losing your mother and father as I have over the last seven years uh, informs a different perspective in terms of compassion and empathy and uh, it also informs, you know, my broadcasting style, you know, because I've uh, been 
on the hot seat. You know, I've been in major media markets like New York and L.A. at programs like St. John's and UCLA. And the degree of scrutiny that you receive in those markets uh, is intense. And so that gives me more empathy and compassion for what a coach is going through and the way in which I cover a game and the perspective I try and bring to inform viewers and uh, also entertain them, uh, but to give them context of, you know, what a coach is going through and what that's like for his family and, um, and for his wife and what it's like at night, um, you know, when you're by yourself with just your wife and uh, you're going through it in terms of the uncertainty of your future in a particular profession. And, um, you know, cancer, definitely in terms of health and uh, that battle uh, informed me as well. So Sean Miller definitely uh, has learned a great deal. And he comes from a coaching family. We know about Archie and his father was a legendary high school coach. Uh, so, you know, he's going to move forward. I'm happy for him that he can take a deep breath, yeah. be off that hamster wheel. And because uh, you're not even aware of it, you know, when you're in that scenario, uh, you're, you have your armor on, you're going into that gladiator pit every day and you relish that challenge. Uh, but it is taking a toll on your health. And so I don't think there's any doubt. I had cancer at a very young age of 45. And uh, from what the doctors have said and studies have showed, um, you know, the coaching profession definitely accelerates the, uh, you know, the cancer in terms of how quickly it can grow. And so uh, make sure you always, you know, do your blood work. Early detection is the key. And that's why I'm here today. Uh, grateful that we get to talk basketball uh, and, and still in the mix uh, in some form. There you go. There you go. I love that. Yeah. I love that. No, seriously, because the, the you know, a, a big part of this podcast is talking about sports, but also really putting life into perspective. And, you know, over this past year uh, with George Floyd with COVID and just what we've all experienced over this past year. Yeah, it's great to talk about sports, but I also think it's incredible to have guys like you come and use this platform to talk about things that are more important in life. For sure, so for I, sure. I appreciate that coach. Yeah, Steve, Steve, before we let you go, uh, first of all, thank you so much for, for spending a few minutes with us, but what are you up to now besides TV? Like what, what are you into and, and uh, what's, what's the future hold for you? Well, I really enjoy my work in broadcasting. And there's the longevity aspect, uh, relatively speaking, more security. Um, you know, I do miss aspects of coaching. And if there was a good fit, I would definitely consider a return uh, for another tour duty uh, in coaching. Uh, but it has to make sense. You know, I was enjoying myself at ABC and ESPN, learning from Brent Musburger. Uh, but St. John's was a good fit. I knew we'd be able to recruit there and win there as we did. Uh, not in terms of national titles, which is what the new president, you know, wanted to see. And uh, hopefully they're going to get there sooner than later. Uh, but, you know, I knew we could have success and, and we did. And I feel good about, you know, what we accomplished at St. John's. And now seven years down the line, it looks even better uh, when you look at the 10 years prior to our tenure uh, before we got them back into the tournament, back nationally ranked, back signing kids uh, that could move on to the NBA, uh, but also had those kids just stayed four or five years and got their degree and represented the program in a first-class manner. So as you touched on, you know, we learn from each of those experiences, and that's what would intrigue me in terms of coming back to coaching because I know I'd be even better. You know, I was a much better coach at St. John's than I was UCLA. Now, at UCLA, 
we had the program already rolling. So my results were better than they were at St. John's. St. John's was a rebuild. You know, it had been a decade, uh, you know, since we had winning records, a decade since we'd been in the NCAA tournament, winning records in the Big East, that is. Um, so, yeah, another run in coaching would definitely intrigue. Um, you know, my health is, is terrific. Um, probably in better condition than I was when I was coaching at UCLA <laughs> and St. John's because you have more balance and, you know, you're able to take care of yourself in terms of exercise, get my steps in. I live up here in the Bay Area where I grew up in San Francisco. I got came back here four years ago to be with my mother in the home stretch of her life, right? Our parents bring us into the world. It's a real gift or a blessing to be able to send them out in the manner they deserve as they cross the finish line. And um, I wasn't able to do that with my father because I was coaching. Uh, but I did have that time between UCLA and St. John's with my father, uh, the seven years uh, to really drop in as a friend, you know, more than his son, because uh, as you become an adult, the beautiful thing is your relationship with your parents change, and uh, it becomes more about a friendship instead of them raising you or trying to, uh, you know, discipline you or keep you on the right track. So um, enjoy TV. The right coaching spot comes along. Uh, I definitely would entertain and be intrigued, uh, but it has to be a good fit. You know, I think sometimes coaches – just chase it and they're yeah. doing that either for their ego because they feel they have to prove they can coach or do better than they did in their prior stop uh, or they're chasing the money and um you know i don't want to chase it if it's a good fit a mutual interest um then i'm all in because i really enjoy working with young people i've spent my life uh working with you know people that are 15 to 22 years old and uh my UCLA guys now are in their early 40s. Yeah. <laughs> and my St. John's guys are Man. mid-20s to late yeah. 20s. So it's almost like the two marriages. You know, you've got the older children with the, from the first marriage and you get the young ones. Yes, sir. You see, those, you see the old timers that are, you know, uh, trying to keep up with their kids and the younger wife. And yeah. uh, coaching, you know, has that to a certain degree. And I love it because the different generations of kids uh, kind of inform my view and perspective, which helps me in broadcasting. And they'll let me know, like, coach, that's so yesterday. You know, you can't do that anymore. And uh, <laughs> this this is the hashtag. Or, you know, this yeah. is what's hip. This is what's cool. This is what's in, you know. So, and also the different generations of kids, East Coast, West Coast, St. John's, and UCLA, uh, that have gotten to know each other. And so that's cool, too. Back to, like, two families that become one. And those are things that uh, I got into coaching for and, and really feel fortunate and grateful that I've been able to coach at Purdue and UCLA and St. John's, first-class universities. And that's also why if it was a wrap and I stay in broadcasting uh, the rest of my career, I'd be grateful for that too. Uh, you look at a lot of my mentors, the Dick Vitales and Digger Phelps and Al McGuire's and Bill Rafferty's, uh, there's something to be said. There's a reason why they never came back to coaching because they enjoyed that balance. Um, but I still feel I got one more run left in me uh, if it's the right fit. There you go. Well, coach, you know, I met you. We actually had a discussion three years ago after DeAndre Aiden and Arizona won the Pac-12 tournament. And I was standing at half court. You came out and you just stopped and, and just started talking. And we just started talking about ball and we started talking about DeAndre and his performance and and what the future lies. And 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 we didn't really know each other too well. You know, and you followed me on Twitter. I followed you on Twitter. 
but I, when you left, I, I, I left with the same impression that you kind of started off the show with about Lute Olson is like just the demeanor, the candor, the, the professionalism and the class that he had. Um, and when you left that day, I thought the same thing about you. Uh, you didn't have to stop. I'm, you know, I'm an older, I was in, uh, what they call, a, um, uh, uh, well, I forget the name is, uh, uh, an, an unusual student, right? Like, cause I'm 40, you know, and, and I'm trying to find my way through this career after the military. And, and we just sat there and, and chopped it up for about 10 minutes. And I'm, I'll never forget that experience because I was just like, this is, this was the top of the line division one head coach. And now he's one of the premier broadcasters in the country. And, uh, and you, and you just, you gave the impression that you're not, you're not bigger than anything. And, uh, Bill Walton does the same thing. He'll spend a few moments to talk to you. And what's your and name? Of, what's your name? Yeah. Always. What's your name? You know, and, uh, where's my stool so I can sit down. And, and also after he asks you what your name is and you respond with your name, he goes, I'm Bill. I'm like, <laughs> We like know. I know who you are, man. Yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to let you know that that I was always I've always been impressed by you, and every every person I've ever mentioned your name to has nothing but the greatest things to say about you, and I think that says more about you as a man than as a coach. And I, I appreciate you taking the time to come on to this show. Well, I appreciate the kind remarks, and uh, it is one of the wonderful elements of you know coaching and broadcasting is we meet people on the road like musicians that are barnstorming uh, back in the day, the, uh, you know, big band or, you know, jazz musicians uh, barnstorming and you meet other people in that case, you know, that love music. Um, and in this case, love basketball yeah. and sometimes both uh, love and basketball and music and basketball. Uh, there are some interesting ties there, especially with music because, as you know, get musicians to work together in harmony, right? To create good music. And the more they practice together, the more they understand one another's gifts. And uh, there's a leader of a band as well. And uh, that's the equivalent of a coach. And uh, in basketball, we're trying to bring forth the best, uh, the full expression of a group, uh, different than music, but it's basketball. And there is that art form uh, in both, in my view. But, um, you know, chatting like we are today or meeting people on the road like we did a few years back um, you know reminds us of the love we have for the game mm -hmm. and there's that shared commonality uh, that leads to friendships and relationships and and hanging out like this on a saturday drinking coffee and chopping it up about coach olson and we got bill walton into the mix and yeah. uh, sean miller and tommy lloyd and um, so i really appreciate you guys allowing me to come in here and uh and banter with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, coach, best of luck in the future and uh, stay in touch. And uh, you know, if you ever need a adobo, I'm uh, I'm available. So <laughs> I love it. I like the versatility. That's good. I, you know, I like, you got to wear a lot of hats. There you a lot go. Of headsets. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Let's do it again down the line. If you guys ever get to the Bay area, let me know. I'll take you up to Napa or Sonoma. And we'll, we'll, uh, you know, do some wine tasting. I'll introduce you to some of the, yes wine psalms up there and the wine directors and uh, we could have some fun so heck yeah uh, we'll just bring yeah. our mask and we'll be prudent on that front we'll get a driver so that we don't <laughs> so we don't get any duis there you go there you go steve lavin always thinking about all the steps uh, like a like a like a good like coach, a coach would. so steve thank you so much appreciate it
Take care, fellas. Bye-bye. Thanks, Coach. See you. Steve Lavin in the house on the Total BS podcast joining us. You know, like I said, Justin, like one of the all-time greats. I I just – I never get tired of listening to what he has to say. It's so insightful. It's so thought out. And, uh, and man, can he remember a name or what? Man, it's ridiculous. (laughs) It's impressive. It's impressive. Uh, he's just dropping names left and right. That Purdue assistant coach from 1956, and then blah blah blah. I'm like, whoa, dude! Like, I can barely remember my fiance's name from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you, oh you my do God. the you do the snap fingers, yeah, like uh, the uh, the uh, you know what I mean? What's I'm here, I, I'm I'm sitting here trying to remember to to say non traditional student. That's the word I was trying to find. I can't even find that. He's like, yeah, you know. So you know, John Wooden's little uh, his. His landscaper's name was Skippy and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what the hell? What? what? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just uh, just very awesome. You know, you know, Justin, you've been around. Uh, you're young, but you've been around. You've been around uh, quite a bit, you know, covering U of A sports for the most part. But you've come come across these guys. And, and each one of these guys has a special ability to tap in to to make you feel like you're an important person yeah um even though we're all just we're all just people right nobody's more important than the other but it's that unique ability to be like so what are you about and and embrace you even if it's only for a few minutes and then that's it and uh that that's just that's a really cool trait that i i try to take on myself i know you try to take on yourself justin you have that ability as well like every person that's ever met you uh, has always been like, man, I like that guy. You know what I mean? Because you make them feel a certain way about themselves. And it's, uh, it's yeah. a unique trait. And I think it's uh, definitely a high quality for people to have. Coach Lavin, when you brought up the story about him coming out to uh, center court to talk to you about just everything and anything about DeAndre Aiden and what happened that night, um, I have a kind of a similar story about Steve Lavin coming out and connecting. Um, it was my birthday Fourth of July, for those people wondering. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I'm sitting at a gas station uh, pumping up my car, getting gas. And I get a text message, and it's from Steve Lavin. And this is at like 9.15 at night. And it just says, hey, friend, just wanted to wish you a happy birthday. I'm like, I, I don't. how the hell did Steve Lavin even find out that today was my birthday? Because Steve Lavin doesn't have Facebook. We're not friends on Facebook. So how did you find out is my birthday maybe twitter yeah i don't know i mean you probably you probably you probably said something on twitter no i don't i'm not that guy that's like blessed to see 25 (laughs) (laughs) hashtag blessed hashtag blessed (laughs) but you know those people that are like that want people to know it's their birthday without saying hey it's my birthday they're like blessed to see 25 uh, like 25 years ago, I came out the canal. <laughs> <laughs> Odds were stacked against me. No, but nobody made it through. <laughs> made it through. <laughs> I don't know how Steve Lavin discovered it was my birthday, but he texted me happy birthday, wanted to wish me well. And I was like, man, Coach Lavin is just the absolute best. And before that, I wrote a story about Parker Jackson Cartwright that you edited and helped uh, put together about just – everything that he overcame being a shorter point guard playing high level division one basketball uh steve lavin uh not only he didn't just retweet me he shared my story on his page and said unbelievable story by justin spears and he's always shown support 
and he he never had to. He didn't have to. It doesn't and, take much. And and that kind of guy right there with all the connections and the people that he knows over the over the years from being at UCLA for being at St. John's, for him to consider little old me as an acquaintance, I, I just think it's so special. And you talk about that effect that you leave on people. Uh, Steve Lavin is just one of those guys that just just makes you feel good about yourself. And oh, yeah, absolutely. He's just, he just spent 30 minutes talking with us about, about ball. And you life. I mean? Like life and ball, you know what I mean? And like that's, that's one of the great things, in, you know, on, on our earlier um, – uh, podcast today on the Sun Solar panel. We talked about Monty Williams and his ability to connect with his players. And I told, I and I, um, the one thing I said is, is you know, being able to have the li- life experiences that I've had, I've seen leaders both good and bad. And the one common theme between all the leaders that were good is they care about you. They care about you as an individual, and they want to see you succeed some way, somehow. Because if you succeed, we all succeed, right? And uh, good leaders care more about than just about the bottom line. You know what I mean? Because they know that if you take care of X, Y, and Z with said individual, the bottom line will take care of itself. It will. You know what I mean? If you get players to buy into your program, but more importantly, buy into you and what you're trying to build within that program, they will run through a wall for you. But if players think that you're just out for yourself, you get – you're going to get uneven performances. And I think uh, in some of these coaching searches and subsequent coaches that got fired, I think they ran into those pitfalls of like the, I'm the program instead of the program is the program and I'm trying to help guide it. And that's, that's the major difference there. So uh, I just, a, just a tremendous interview. And, and thanks again to Steve Lavin for taking the time on this Saturday up in the Bay area. Um, clearly the sun is shining up there and it didn't look like it was a, a bad place to be right about now. And mm-hmm. uh, Napa sounds pretty good. I'm not gonna lie. That wine country, man. <laughs> I, it's, I'm a, I, it had me sitting there for a second when he brought up wine country, I was like sipping my coffee and like swishing around my mouth, like <laughs> trying to, trying to, trying to taste all the ingredients. Like, just, <laughs> Spit it out in your other cup, like mm, yeah, yeah. That's a bit nutty. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, let's move on uh, to people that other people that probably visit wine country. Mister One, uh, the one and only Alex Rodriguez, uh, getting a, an ownership stake in the Timberwolves. Uh, pretty cool. Also, Dwayne Wade ownership stock in the Jazz. Unique situation all the way around. Let's start with Alex Rodriguez. What was your whole take on on the Timberwolves buy? I'm disappointed that it wasn't Kevin Garnett of all people and KG was in the mix to take ownership stake in the Minnesota Timberwolves. And if there was anybody that could have done it, I would have wanted a guy like Kevin Garnett, who's been in the league, who's been the face of the Minnesota Timberwolves ever since, you know, he first stepped foot in the NBA until he went on to play for the Boston Celtics. Um, Having arguably the greatest player in franchise history take ownership would have been a great deal, but I also like Alex Rodriguez uh, going and partnering up with Mark Lore, mm-hmm. um, who is an exec for, gosh, who's former, it? Oh, for, former exec with Walmart, yeah. Walmart. So he's got a big wig on his side, and they're teaming up, and they're going to take ownership and, and kind of help out with the NBA and, and where it's going. And I think having a young guy like Alex Rodriguez, who has a grasp of where professional sports is going, We've, we've heard him talk on ESPN, on Fox, 
very smart, intelligent mm-hmm. guy who mm-hmm. is very business savvy. And he was actually in contention to buy the New York Mets with his former fiance. Yeah, and I'm very sad. It's no longer a thing anymore. (laughs) But Jennifer Lopez, they were going to buy the Mets. Things fell through, and then Alex Rodriguez shifted his focus towards the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm I'm just very ecstatic for a Rod, even though we don't get to see J Rod anymore. J Rod, J Rod is no more. But you know, I I think that that's kind of where I go with this is that I understand how people are upset that that Kevin Garnett didn't get um, a stake in this, right? However, if you've seen A-Rod and you've seen his dealings, you see that he has been kind of prepping himself in the business world uh, to be a major player in the sports industry. And I think what he's doing has set himself up to do just that. Uh, That's one of the things that that I find remarkable about athletes like Alex Rodriguez, right? I think by and large, every athlete that gets to the NBA hears similar or gets to professional sports, hears similar advice like, hey, this is just temporary. You don't know how long this is going to last. Make sure you're prepping yourself for the next step. A-Rod did just that. As he was going through his major league career, he's networking, he's making relationships. He understands that, yeah, I made a $250 million contract or I have a $300 million contract for the next whatever years, but I want to build on that to make overall wealth for the long term, not just for me, but for my family and and their, their history. And I think the wealthy families in American history have done just that. And I think A-Rod, as a minority as well, is, is trying to establish that path for his family tree and i think it's it's remarkable yeah and and being able to set yourself up that's 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 who you want to identify with that's who you want the larry fitzgeralds of the world they do that you know the the good athletes and the smart athletes understand that this sport is a temporary it's a temporary place it's 10 15 years if you're lucky uh nfl's even shorter so you got to take advantage of these situations and really set yourself up for success in the future. And also, too, you mentioned being a part of the New York Yankees organization. He's seen great owners. He's seen the Steinbrenner family own the New York Yankees. So he's had a connection with them. And also being in the media at ESPN, at Fox, he's been able to kind of go back behind the curtain, right? Being in our job, Saul, we're able to see the business side of sports yeah, and how everything absolutely. operates because we're behind it. We kind of get to see how the sausage is made. Yeah. Uh, so I think with Alex Rodriguez building up that resume, getting those connections and understanding what it takes to own a franchise, even if it's not Major League Baseball, he's going into out of his element and going with the Minnesota Timberwolves, I think is very special. Whereas a guy like Dwayne Wade going with the Utah Jazz, um, it's incredible. I mean, you see a number of um, NBA players, not as many as you'd like to see, but there have been a number of NBA players that have dabbled in having exec positions and taking yeah. ownership. Magic Johnson is probably Mike, Michael um, Jordan, Michael Jordan uh, w- with the Charlotte Hornets. So I think Dwayne Wade going with the Utah Jazz is special for the NBA. They need more players representing them and pursuing the league and making the league just an overall a better product. We all we can agree, or at least you and I saw can agree. I don't know about our listeners that the NBA is the best ran professional sports league in 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 sports. I it's think. one. It's one of them. Um, I will also say this uh, when it comes because to because it's Utah, all about their players. 
For sure. I'll also say this in, in regards to Dwayne Wade and the Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz, uh, from a public uh, relations perspective, have probably one of the worst reputations in the league in terms of their fans and how they conduct themselves. Um, the racism, uh, there's been countless instances of racism in Utah. Um, I think it's quite remarkable that uh, a gentleman by the that of of Dwayne Wade stature, um, his background, his family. You know, yes. he has he has a, a kid who um, is transgender, and um, or or identifies as other than than what they are. Um, I hope I get that right. I, I I'm still I I'm trying to I'm trying to put the verbiage correctly. So if I got that wrong, I apologize. But um, but you know, it, so he he. There's a lot of different facets to who Dwayne Wade is. He's a fashion guy. He's got you know Gabrielle Union is his wife, and she's an actress. And um, they do a lot of different things and promotions, and they do a lot of different things for the community. Like they are very active. They're a very active couple. And so the fact that Dwayne Wade is now in with the Utah Jazz in what you and I can agree with is one of the worst cities in the history of civilization in Salt Burger, Lake City. Burger King closes at 9 p.m. Oh, it's the of, worst. It's not even Burger King. What's that burger spot that we went to? Oh, I can't remember. It was like King Burger or something like that. So the burger <laughs> King, King burger. <laughs> has a crown on the outside of it. If you're from Salt Lake and you know what it is, hit us up in the chat. But um I think this is this is a way to to kind of break that mold and start to change uh, the fabric of that franchise, uh, and at least maybe influence the fan base in a, in a better way, and especially in a way that they should be conducting themselves better than what they have shown. Yeah, and I, I think um, one of the I shouldn't say better examples, but one of the more um, just examples that resonates with me about the fan base in the Utah Jazz was when Derek Fisher. Uh, went back to the Lakers uh, because his daughter uh, had eye cancer. Yeah. And so going back to L.A., seeing the best specialists, the best doctors for her, when the Lakers went back and played against the Jazz, either in a regular season game or a playoff series, I forgot which one it is, there were fans that were shouting stuff at Derek Fisher, and one of them was even co even covering his eye while he was – saying stuff to Derek Fisher. That kind of stuff right there is just so out of line and disrespectful that I sit there and look at the Utah Jazz as like the one of the top teams in the NBA and I'm like I hate them so much. <laughs> I I don't I don't want them to succeed. And I like Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and all the yeah. guys that they have, but it's just their awful fan base that makes me root against the Utah Jazz. Like, and maybe like Maybe something with Dwayne Wade changes that. It's just unfortunately, Salt Lake City is what it is, which and, is and so you can't crazy. Change the fans, which is so crazy, because Salt Lake City is 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 basically known as a, a heavy Mormon populated city, and you know the Mormon culture is is essentially the opposite of what we see in the stands and at the arenas, right? Yeah. And so it's it's kind of crazy that you would have that influence from the outside, but on the inside, it's just crazy. And uh, no, I, I totally agree. And, and I think there's a difference, right? Like, I think you have fanatics, fan, fanatic fan bases. Like, I think 
the Laker fans are crazy. And I think you can agree on that, right? Laker fans yeah, think nuts. that they should get every single person ever. <laughs> uh, Yankees fans, same thing. Red Sox fans, Dodgers fans. But um, but those fan bases aren't loathsome in this regard. We're talking about conduct like, you know, you are a Laker fan and you'll talk trash to me because, you know, the Lakers have 16 championships and the Suns have zero. 17. Like, Okay, whatever. Um, you know, like you'll say that, right? However, like you won't say something and then throw some race into it. You know, like yeah, that's that's yeah. the biggest difference here. And so which is so anyway. weird because because the University of Utah, their fans aren't like that, and they're in the same city. It's true. It's just weird. It's just a weird dynamic, dog. I don't understand it. Anyway, before we go, last thing, I know you had a couple other things, but we're just gonna wrap this up because it's almost been an hour. Uh, I'm just going to ask you one question. Would you take a punch from Aaron Donald <laughs> for a million dollars? Oh, yes. For Did a you million? see that dude's face, though? And that dude was a big guy. Yeah. Just, I don't know if you'd survive that, man. Yeah. <laughs> you might be like I, Hurricane all over again. <laughs> I saw or, the or million. You'll be like Million Dollar Baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got a million dollars, but I can breathe through this tube. <laughs> I saw the photo of that poor chap, and I yes, I did say chap. I don't know how I that came into my mind, but which also, um, by the way, uh, was a false story. What What's a false story? The guy getting hit by Aaron Donald. It was false. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was. It's false. not Aaron Donald. He came out and apologized. Yeah, it was a made-up story. <laughs> oh, man, how yeah. things have changed between the yeah. time I made the show notes until we actually do the show. Oh, how the tables have turned. Oh, yep. how the turntables. But uh, <laughs> I don't know if I if I take a punch from Aaron Donald, but for a million dollars, I might consider it. I actually threw out the question to my older brother. I'm like, how about 200 grand? Just, uh, just one good punch to the face. And he was like, no. And even if even if you accept that money – how much is your hospital bill going to be like you know, anywhere, how- but anywhere, but the face. Cool. I'll take it for a mil, but the face, man, dude, you might have brain damage, man. You I might not even be able to count to five. Getting punched in the sternum by Aaron Donald. Oh, you're I, done. I, I've actually been punched in the, in the sternum once before. So we were playing this game. It's so stupid. It was called BB bridges. <laughs> and yeah, so stupid. So, so stupid. And I was like my junior year of high school and it was a bunch of us. It was like, 15 of us. And if you said any word with the letter B in it, dudes could just go ham on you until you say BB Bridges. And so like, so we're all sitting there and I, every, so everybody obviously is calculating what they're saying, right? They're like, yeah, so I did not go to the, you know, <laughs> like, cause they're trying to think, did this have B in it? You know what I mean? And uh, so you sound like, one, you sound like Crips. <laughs> so this can't, one can't, kid, so this one kid says something with the letter B in it. And I'm like, oh, I got it. I got him. And me and this other dude look at each other like, yeah, we got it. And we're like, yeah. And right before I'm about to throw my blow, this dude hits me in the sternum. So, like, I'm already cocked back. And he hits me right in the, in the, in the chest. And I had basketball practice that night. I couldn't even pick up my arm because I was so bruised in my sternum because he hit me so hard. And I was just like, this is the worst feeling ever. Like, I couldn't even eat. I had to like just stick my face into like mashed potatoes that night. And we're even wor- your worst luck. You had you were the inbounds passer, so you had to lift up your arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah chest. Ba- I had to sit out practice that night. I was like, coach, I can't even, I can't even pick up my arms right now. I had to ice my chest. I had to I ice s- my chest. I say you sound like uh like 
Bloods and Crips, how they can't say the, the letter of the, of the opposite gang. So you guys were all Crips. You just got you couldn't say anything with the letter B in it. So stupid. I think it's so awesome. stupid. BB Bridges. <laughs> BB Bridges. So. Steve Lavin and BB Bridges. There you go. What an episode today, man. <laughs> hey, again, thanks to Steve Lavin for joining us. This was this was a uh, this is one for the books, man. I, I really enjoyed today's conversation with Steve and uh, and what he brought to the table. Just a, a unique individual, and I love him to death. And uh, and Justin, love you to death. I'm glad uh, you you were able to arrange that. So yeah. uh, tell the tell the people where they can find us. Total BS Podcast is everywhere that you can listen to podcasts. We are on Apple, Spotify, Google, everywhere. We're also on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, social media at Total BS Podcast. Make sure you search that, subscribe, rate, review, follow, do whatever you can. There you go. And until next time, we appreciate you joining us. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you hit that like. Make sure you leave a five-star review, just like my man said. Yes. We'll see you when we see you next time. Peace. Yo, your fans just might turn into our fans. Be cool, it's just a part of this program. Spit your best 16 if you must. You not whack, you just sound whack.